It's KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, just a little bit after 11 o'clock on Monday, the 9th of March, 2020. My name is Mike Hagan, and this is Radio Orbit. I'll be back with you all in, uh, in just a few minutes.
All righty. Good evening, everyone. Good morning. Good day. Whoever you are, wherever and whenever you might be listening to this radio program. It is Radio Orbit. Welcome to the show. We investigate here every Monday the cutting edges in science, technology, nature, art, music, medicine, sometimes the strange and unusual, always interesting, usually pretty cool. You're listening to it here Monday, March 9th, 2020. Hope the day has been a good one for you. Welcome to the show. Hope you're having a good night and enjoying it. Another winter Monday night here in Missouri, but moving towards spring, I feel like. A little bit warmer tonight than normal. A lot of rain the last couple of days, but winter kind of giving some signs that it's moving toward the door. I'll be glad to see that. Anyway, uh, moon almost full. Beautiful tonight in the clear skies here above Missouri. Take a look outside before we get into the program here and enjoy yourselves by taking a nice look up there into the heavens. Never know what you might see. All right. Once again, a lovely night to cuddle up. Listen to Radio Orbit. Glad to be with you on this first Monday, now second Monday in March, the 9th, I guess. We'll take care of a couple pieces of business here, and then we'll get on to the radio program, okay? All right, thank you to wonderful people here at KOPN, Tim and the gang, keeping this station great, nearly 48 years now, 24-7, 365, remarkable group of people that keep it rolling up here at the Mighty Fine 89 Every Monday, Woody gets things moving with traditional classic country and Ameripolitan music. Today we had Joy sitting in for Woody. I'm not sure if Woody was out of town or not, but Joy doing a fine job of sitting in for Mr. Atkins, playing some lovely music, wonderful country, traditional and Ameripolitan music on the Real Deal Country Show every Monday from 3 to 6 p.m. After that, tech radio guys take over, 6 o'clock bringing us up to snuff on the always advancing world of high technology. Kelvin, on the air, jazz plus blues equals, I don't know what it equals tonight, actually, but uh, Kelvin bringing you great music from 7 to 10 every Monday, and just concluding from 10 o'clock until 11, New Wave Radio Theater. Great stuff here on 89.5 FM, and streaming on the world, or (laughs) streaming on the world streaming all around the world for sure at www.kopn.org it's good music good talk good news your imagination station KOPN Columbia and thanks to everybody listening and participating in the program I sure appreciate when people uh, send me notes and get in touch with me I like hearing from the listeners of the program feel free to message me Whatever it might be, if you've got an idea for a potential guest maybe or a topic you'd like to hear covered on the program, maybe you're a musical artist or you have someone that you'd like me to hear and maybe we can feature their music on the program sometime. Maybe you're an artist or a poet. Of course, those are both artists, but maybe you're a visual artist and you paint or sculpt or uh, do digital artwork. Uh, maybe you're a poet who does written artwork. Regardless, share it with me, and I'll share it with other people, okay? All right, last week, I had my friends. uh, Bartholomew Bartholomew Bean was in the studio with me, playing some wonderful music for us. And uh, speaking of wonderful artists, we had Mr. Wayne Leal with us here in the studio last week as well. Just kind of jibber-jabbed among 
the three of us throughout the program and hit a bunch of topic, topics, talked a lot about coronavirus and did a few st- uh, stories from the news, etc. Um, we'll do similar tonight, although I'm just by myself tonight. We'll uh, do some news stories and open the telephone line, see if we can get some of you folks to call in and say hi to me. If you missed the program last week or any other week, they're on the web and available in the archives at the website at www.mikehagan.com. Archives for the show, for the music, for everything else. And if you're interested in some of the news stories that I talk about on the program and perhaps some that I don't, consider getting on the web and checking out the Radio Orbit forum. You can post questions directly to me there in the chat room. You can post your own stories and news items at the uh, community bulletin board there. Once again, it's at Mike Hagan, M-I-K-E-H-A-G-A-N, MikeHagan.com. Just click on over to the button that says Radio Orbit Forum. Lots of new members recently. Hello. Thank you for everyone for joining the gang over there. I think we're almost at 100 uh, members now and took a little while to get there, but that's pretty exciting for me. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate everyone that's joining up on uh, on the forum over there. And yeah, feel free to share what you got. Okay. All right. Tonight, once again, I mentioned it will just be me and you. Phones will be open. Numbers are 573-443-8255, 573-443-7380. I have an update from Dr. Eric Feigel-Ding on coronavirus. I spoke with him two weeks ago, as a matter of fact, two weeks ago on Monday, almost exactly two weeks ago. We now have two more weeks of history and information behind us, so I thought it was uh, important if we could get the most recent update from Harvard epidemiologist Eric Feigel-Ding. We'll have him in just a few minutes here, but yeah, another 35 minutes or so of conversation that I had with him this afternoon. And uh, yeah, very, I think, relevant and and uh, important information. So stick around for Dr. Eric Feigel-Ding and an update on the 2019 NCOV coronavirus, all right? For music tonight, I have songs from a band that's called The Dancing Dead. Discovered them in the last week or so and thought I'd play their music for you tonight. We opened the show with a song that was called No Input Signal. You might have figured out that I started the show a little bit late tonight. And, well, you know, sometimes that's the way it goes. No Input Signal. Now, here's another one from The Dancing Dead. This one is called Channel Surfing. That's probably what you were doing while I was off the air. I'm glad you're back with me, though. Come on back and stick around after this one. This is, uh, once again, The Dancing Dead. And this is Channel Surfing from their record called Terminals from 2018. I'll be back with you in just a few minutes with Dr. Eric Feigel-Ding, Harvard epidemiologist and uh, someone who is extremely knowledgeable and whose opinion is highly regarded and sought after with regard to information on the 2019 NCOV coronavirus. Back in a few minutes, it's Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. My name is Mike Hagan.
All right, welcome back to the program. Just about, I don't know, what time is it? About 29 minutes after the hour of 11 o'clock on uh, this ninth day of March 2020. It's Mike, you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. A couple of weeks ago, I had the uh, pleasure of speaking with a Harvard epidemiologist and someone who works at the uh, Chan School of Public Health there at Harvard, and his name is Dr. Feigl Ding. We spoke at length a couple weeks ago about the emerging coronavirus 2019 NCOV. It is still something that is on the radar of perhaps great importance, and uh, I was fortunate enough to speak with him again earlier today. I didn't want to let it sit. So I'm just going to play that for you right now. And uh, we'll be back in just a little bit. You're listening to Radio Orbit with Mike Hagan on KOPN 89.5 FM. My guest is Dr. Eric Feigl-Ding. Eric is an epidemiologist, health economist, and nutrition scientist at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health. In addition, he's a senior fellow at the Federation of American Scientists. He's an outspoken and valuable source of information regarding the 2019 NCOV coronavirus epidemic. I had the privilege of speaking with him exactly two weeks ago today. His opinion is highly regarded and sought after, so I'm thrilled to have the chance to get an update from him this afternoon. Dr. Eric Ding, hello, sir. Thanks again for taking the time out to talk with us here in the middle of the USA. Yeah, happy to be here. It's a uh, it's crazy epidemic, so glad to get the word out. All right. Um, maybe we could start off with a little bit of review. The last time we spoke, and we've got two weeks of, of sort of history behind us now, we started off by talking a little bit about incubation, transmission, and fatality rates. And I was wondering if we know anything more than we knew then uh, today. Yeah. Um, in terms of a fatality, I think we've pinned it better to somewhere between 1% to 3%. Um, and it seems like, you know, we know that um, children seem not to have severe cases while the elderly have um, much, much more severe cases and mortality. Yeah, the t- children issue was on my list here. Maybe you could expand on that a little bit since you brought it up. Yeah, um, it was it was interesting. Like, there's almost no children under the age of 10 who have any severe disease. They do get infected, just like the rest of us. But in terms of being seriously ill, there's almost very, very few uh, documented cases of it. And um, a recent study just showed that children seem to be 67% less likely than uh, young adults um, of, of becoming severely ill. So in certain ways, that's good. But, um, you know, this is still a serious disease for the rest of us. Okay. All right, so back to incubation, transmission, fatality. You said between 1% and 3%. I guess it depends on the circumstances, sort of. Yeah. I think it also depends on where you are. You know, not every country has the same health care system. Um, hmm. And, uh, you know, 
like Korea right now has a mortality slightly less than 1%, but a lot of uh, Korea has really good testing, and Korea's cases are still pretty young. Uh, the outbreak has not been going on for a long time. Um, so I think, you know, in transmission also, in some places, it you know, it could be from two to four reproductive number, as in for every infected person, it will infect additional two to four. But I think that number has probably come down mm-hmm. with um, public health containment in terms of uh, hygiene measures, you know, and social distancing measures. But at the same time, it's it's a serious runaway epidemic, um, you know, in many parts of the world, including Italy, uh, a lot of parts of Europe, and it seems here in the U.S., yeah, there's been a lot of talk about Italy and, and some pretty extreme measures taken there. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what's happening there. And then uh, I haven't heard much about other other parts of Europe. Yeah, well, Italy is obviously the worst in Europe, but um, it's it's growing in France, in Germany, in the UK. Hmm. It's, the numbers are basically going up everywhere. It's just Italy is, is facing the brunt of it um, because their epidemic in Lombardy um, province Mm-hmm. It seems to be so harsh that they don't have enough doctors and nurses. Um, they don't have enough hospitals or ICU beds. They're now even rationing who can even get an ICU mm. uh, respirator treatment based on your chance of likelihood of surviving. So it's, it's, in certain ways, it's, it's very worrisome. Um, and it's basically Italy is having a Wuhan 2.0. And... Are we having it here in Seattle area? I'm not sure, but its epidemic is definitely growing in the U.S. too. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the response here in the United States. There's been quite a bit of criticism out there in the, in the world about the lack of testing and our inability to sort of get it moving. I, I think even now we're still only doing maybe 500 a day or so. I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but what's, uh, what's happening with our, our response here in the U.S.? Yeah, um, the testing has is, is been such a mess. As I mentioned two weeks ago, um, you know, they had, we had some test kit problems, and you know, just the ramp up of that uh, in other states has been seriously, seriously constrained. The U.S., you know, um, previously, you know, just two weeks ago was was stuck at 500 tests mm. cumulatively, and has not uh, gone up much. Uh, uh, two weeks ago, but since then it's gone up a little bit, but we're still talking about only like a dozen or two dozen tests per state Mm. capacity, which, you know, compared to that of South Korea, South Korea did 15,000, not 1,500, 15,000 tests per day Mm. in a small country of Korea. Yes, yes. Um, And and we're just not nearly matching that. Mm. We're finally ramping up a little more, but, you know, I think we've had this epidemic since since uh, two weeks ago really really cascade and and we know that we've basically had community transmission for quite a while and community transmission cases are the worst because you almost can't trace where it came from it's right. been floating in the community. Well, I know there was a story that came out, perhaps it was yesterday, perhaps the day before, and I know you commented it, uh, about it on Twitter, and I'd like to give out your, your Twitter handle if, uh, if we could right now. If you'd like to follow Dr. Eric, you can do that on Twitter at Dr. Eric Ding, and that's D-R-E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G. 
He has well over 100,000 followers right now, and it's well worth uh, your time if you want to be up to date and up to the minute pretty much informed on what's happening with coronavirus. He does a remarkable job on, on his Twitter feed and, uh, and puts a number of updates up there every day. Mm-hmm. So anyway, okay, so yeah, I was going to ask you about a story where they essentially said they were going to stop testing in general in either the Seattle area or Washington. They, they said that the thing was now in, oh. endemic and they were just going to quit. Yeah, well, that was for the Evergreen healthcare system and they they have they was they've since changed it but at that time they were saying well upon advisement from the cdc because it's so endemic which it means basically it's been around for a long time it's perpetual and which is not true at all this is such a new virus and it's not anywhere close to endemic yet um to say we're going to stop testing and that was extremely frustrating when, when I read that. Mm. Um, and, you know, they since try to backtrack a little, but it's just, you know, it's just so frustrating, the lack of testing. And even now the, at the nursing home uh, where we just had three more deaths today, not all the patients and the healthcare workers at the nursing home in, in Seattle area has even been tested, even, you know, weeks mm. after the first outbreak have happened there. Unbelievable. So, it's 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 terrible in certain ways. Um, there's also, you know, Gates Foundation is stepping up. They're going to start um, distributing home test kits soon. Uh, University of Washington is ramping up its testing capacity to help the uh, the, the states and other areas. And they've also implemented the drive-through testing, which mm. is a really good idea because yeah. one yeah. last time, last thing you want is someone who has a broken ankle to go to the ER and get infected by someone who's coughing up a lung mm. um, and infecting not just people in the waiting room, but also other doctors and nurses. Yeah, so having think... like a special separate, separate triaging area and a drive-through system, which the, uh, it separates everyone from the rest of the people who are visiting ER is a really great idea. And I think we need more of that nationwide. Yeah, I think I read a story that some 10% of healthcare personnel that were working on patients in Italy were coming down with the virus themselves, doctors, nurses, etc. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And, and in one hospital in Wuhan, almost uh, like uh, 29% of patients in one hospital were actually the healthcare workers who were wow. affected. But yeah, but the, like we can't have this happening because if you want to, actually worsen the epidemic it's to basically put healthcare workers out of commission mm. uc davis um when the california has its first case uc davis had to quarantine 128 doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers because of sloppy exposure to the first uh infected case so then all of a sudden all these 128 healthcare workers are now put, uh, put out of commission for half a month Hmm. We can't have that. Right, right. Was there some sort of uh, advisement about the length of quarantine? I've seen numbers like 14 days, and that didn't, yeah. it's, it seemed to me that that wasn't long enough. Yeah, 14 days is the standard. You know, we're working on a project trying to figure out should it be longer. But on average, the incubation time, which is what the uh, quarantine is trying to 
locked down uh, and mm-hmm. you know in limit is incubation is the distant time between your first infected and when you show symptoms okay and so if someone was say shook hands with someone who is sick um we're trying to figure out is this person who shook hands with the sick person also infected well you would quarantine them for 14 days hopefully that if you did get sick um, you would show signs or symptoms within 14 days. And if you didn't, uh, you can be let go on the, into the wild on the 15th day. The question is, you know, the incubation time is on average five to seven days, but could there be an extreme tale of outliers who actually are having incubation longer than 14 days that the 14-day quarantine won't pick up? And so when you release them into the wild on the, on the 15th day, they could actually still have been infected. Mm. This is something we're trying to figure out. Um, there have been anecdotes of a few people in China with incubation longer than that time, but it is rare, but we want to, we're not sure how rare it is. Okay. But, um, but right now for the most part, our containment is, you know, okay. uh, find who a, a sick person, um, was exposed to and then it's called contact tracing Mm -hmm. and then uh, quarantine those people and this is why three members of congress ted cruz um doug collins actually four matt gates and uh another uh uh congressman gozar uh, four members of congress have been quarantined uh, based on their exposure to someone at the cpac conference yeah so it's 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 tricky. Uh, like this this virus knows no partisan bounds or <laughs> <laughs> levels of you know hierarchy. Right. How mild can symptoms be? I'm I'm concerned about very mild cases where people maybe don't even realize they have it or just think they have a little cold or something, and then potentially could be could be spreading that around. Is that something to be concerned about? Yeah. So mild cases is about 80%. Mild to moderate cases are 80% of all um, the infected, and then 20% of severe. Um, and so some people say, well, if 80% are mild, um, that's okay. But, you know, a lot of these mild cases um, is not just sniffle. It's, it's actually having a fever and having a somewhat of a pneumonia. Hmm. Um, that is still considered mild to moderate. And so... You know, mild is a quote-unquote, um, you know, uh, it's, it's all relative. Mm, Secondly, mm. the other thing is, you know, mild, having 80% of the cases being mild is also a problem because if it's too mild, um, mm-hmm. these people still go to work. Yeah, Often yeah, yeah. They don't know whether, oh, it's just a sound, it's like a, you know, a flu, you know, sometimes I can still go to work with that sometimes. And these people, this 80%, suppose you have like 100 people like that, it can actually balloon the actual number of people who have, are infected even higher. Right. And this is why we need really generous sick leave and paid time off work policies because especially a lot of low-income workers who are not on a salary basis, they are hourly workers, if they come forth and get tested and then they're test positive and get quarantined, they basically lose half a month's income. Yeah. And and this is a serious problem because then nobody wants to come forward and get tested. But mm. if they don't want to come forward and tested, then they keep spreading it. It's a vicious cycle. Man, oh man! If you don't 
encourage people to come forward and get tested. Yeah. Okay. So this is why workplace policies are so important. Okay. All right. Let me ask you a question about reinfection. Do we know much about the ability of this thing to reinfect a person like the flu or like a chicken pox, something like that? Yeah, I, I don't think it so far the rumors about reinfection, I think it's not necessarily reinfection, but that the body never really cleared it from um, the mm. virus in mm. the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's an anecdotes of someone who's tested negative, 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 and then tested positive later, or they were, they improved all their symptoms. Um, they tested negative twice and then they go home and then they test positive again and, and get sick again. That, that kind of thing has happened many times, but I think it's more of the, the fact that the test um, has a lot of false negatives. So the test does pick up the positives are definitely most likely positives, but sometimes um, the virus could elude uh, the, the test. You could actually get a lot of false negative readings, mm. which someone is still in being infected. And we know from China that their version of the test um, had been 50% um, 50% accurate. And you know, in certain ways, that that's you know, at least it's picking up the cases. And these are true cases, but for using the test to res- uh, release someone and resolve them of the, and say you're, you're recovered, that's very tricky because the test has a lot of false negatives. And this is why CDC has to confirm a lot of additional tests, and, but this also slows down the process. Um, so hopefully we'll get more accurate tests in the near future. Okay. I'm here in Missouri, and we got the most recent news yesterday of, I think, the first case that was announced here in Missouri, at least, somewhere in St. Louis. And that was a situation where they had self-quarantined and then decided that they were going to leave the self-quarantine to go to a high school dance or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I heard that case, too. I posted it as well. Really hard for people to self-quarantine. I understand that. Mm. Um you know, sometimes you have an emergency or some sort, but to leave the self-quarantine and then go to a public a school dance event, I feel mm. it's like very irresponsible. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not like you're going to the store to just get a medicine and quickly come home, mm. but you're risking a lot of exposure. This is why we, we have a quarantine for a reason. Mm. Well, and I was also bringing that up just to make the point that we're right here in the middle of the country and... I mean, if it's uh, you know started on the coast, well, it it certainly has made its way uh, inland. Yeah, yeah. It's it, there's a lot of cross border infection. It, 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 we actually there was a study that actually showed the the Grand Princess ship off the coast of San Francisco that has mm. um, 21 cases. That one actually is an import case from Washington cluster weeks ago. Wow. So the person who recently died. Oh. He was on the cruise. He had he had brought the virus onto the ship, and then obviously the ship sailed. He got off the, the ship at a stop, and then now the rest of the ship is has a lot infected. That actually came from Washington, even though the ship sailed from San Francisco. Wow! And we were able to deduce that based on looking at the the mutation of the of the virus. Hmm. So I'm pretty sure that you know. We have cases across the country of people who've been traveling for the past four weeks. Um, 
and there's a lot of community transmission. So I don't think anyone, unless you live in a log cabin in the woods, mm-hmm. in a remote part of the country and not seeing anyone, I don't think anyone's entirely safe. Wow. Would you say that, uh, is, any, is anybody speculating, you know, people in your fields, are, uh, are, are people speculating about perhaps the number of cases that might actually exist, not knowing because we're not doing the sufficient amount yeah. of testing? Yeah, someone did some modeling, and they, they estimated by the end of February there was probably like several thousand, and and now we're like approaching mid-March. I think mm. I think there's probably over ten thousand cases mm-hmm. in the U.S. that's been undetected, and and that's a real concern. <sighs> you know, basically anywhere you test, for example, in um, at a, one conference in Boston. Uh, 60 people were exposed at a Marriott conference, so they took them to the hospital to test. One in four came back positive, 15 out of 60. Wow. And in many other states, um, you know, the positive rates is like basically one in five people tested, one in six people, one in four people. It's it's really high. Um, Now, granted, these are suspected cases, but... uh, I expect there's so much more. You know, these are just based on tests of like two, three, four dozen cases. Yeah, very small numbers. If you yeah. scale that up to all the number of people who have flu symptoms, Ugh. this could be much, much worse. Right, right. You mentioned mutations uh, a minute ago. I, I know there are two strains of this that have been identified of the coronavirus that we're talking about. Could you talk a little bit about that, the fact that there are two strains, and how potentially probable is it for mutations to occur and are those necessarily dangerous or sometimes maybe less so? Yeah, well, mutations are a fact of life for viruses. Um, uh, and, and flu, by the way, has a different system for mutating than this coronavirus. Huh. And the flu mutates much faster than this coronavirus. Um, so it's a long, complicated reason. So, so there has been uh, saying suggestion of two different strains. There actually are many different, um, tiny, tiny differences, even within one strain. So mm. um, they say that early on in, in China, there was one strain, but the export cases outside of China are mostly uh, a, a milder strain. That is very speculative, I would say. Okay. Um, you know, the, the problem is in China, in Wuhan, there was a higher mortality because Anywhere, look, like, for example, mortality is going to be very high in, in Iran and in Italy. Anytime the, uh, any virus overloads the healthcare system beyond its capacity, mortality is going to go up. Mm. You know, hence the right. you know, rationing of ICU care to just those with highest chance of survival. So it's hard to say, is it because that, you know, is it a more deadly or dangerous strain, or is it just that, it had hit uh, Wuhan early on when um, the mortality w- was high because it overloaded the healthcare system there. Right, right. Uh, it, we we don't know for sure, but we're monitoring that. But uh, for the most part, this virus um, is is pretty bad. It seems, um, regardless of these kind of minor differences. Okay. And again, it's these minor differences that allow us to see that. You know, the San Francisco mm. cruise ship strain is actually the same uh, uh, as the as the Washington state cases. I see. But I see. these mutations, yeah. like, don't worry about 
them from a public health standpoint right now. Okay. We don't we don't think that that there is like a, a deadly strain versus a non-deadly strain. Okay. What do we know about China? I feel like I haven't heard much from China recently. Well, China, it, the cases is improving. Um, they basically cost your economy several percentage points in GDP growth uh, because of it and creating like supply chain bottlenecks uh, for a whole range of different things. Uh, now, they're trying to, they're ramping up to getting people back to work. But the question is, now that people are getting back to work, is the epidemic, mm. could the ep- epidemic still flare up? Right. Because it was snuffed out for a while because they basically shut down the whole country and, you know, no one's going to work, no one's going to school. But now that people are going back to work in school, uh, you know, is that, is, is the worst over or it could flare back up? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, right now there's, like a week ago, there's more cases outside of, more deaths outside of China than inside of China. And, and that's true, very much true today. For example, Worldwide cases outside of China was 4,000 new cases yesterday. While in China, you're just talking about like um, sometimes less than 100. Um, so but the problem is, you know, is America able to do the full authoritarian type of lockdown that China does? I'm not sure it can. Yeah, I don't and even the uh, NIH's uh, Dr. Fauci says the U.S. cannot nearly match that kind of containment process, um, which was horrendously imposing on human rights. And and, uh, it was very difficult for China to even do. And I don't know. This is today's stock market. I I don't know if you saw totally tumbled and crashed. The worst stock market day since uh, December 2018. Yeah, it's been it's been crazy, and and combined with the last few days, I mean, I think the market's down some three thousand, maybe thirty five hundred points in just the last three or four days. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there. I don't think we're done mm. because I don't think I'm, okay. Some people say, well, now it's priced in; the market has adjusted, so it should bounce back up. You can buy a stock cheap. I'm not sure about that because you know, I'm not a market analyst, but what I can tell you is. That I don't think we've seen the worst yet in the United States mm-hmm. because have we had stories of ICU shortages yet? No, we haven't. When those stories start emerging in the U.S. like they have in Italy, the market is going to respond really, really badly. Mm. Have we had members of Congress test positive yet? Not yet. Um, but if they do, it's going to be a canary in the coal mine of, of basically how bad it is yeah. in, the, in the actual U.S. If, you know, members of Congress start even testing positive. And those kind of things, like, and, and the mortality, remember the mortality lags behind the number of cases identified. Right, right. I think, the de- I think de- not just cases going up, but mortality going up, that is going to scare the market a lot more in the coming weeks. So I don't think we're through the worst of it yet in terms of, of market reaction, let's just say. Yeah, and as far as timeline, I mean, I guess where where would you say? I mean, we're more toward the beginning than the end, I guess. Oh, we're definitely still statement. at the beginning because all of our all of our testing is still bottlenecked uh, mm. to, to some degree. There was an article that basically says the U.S. is only capable of testing like less than two thousand cases, uh, two thousand samples a day, yeah. and um, you know, you know, we and. The U.S. needs to probably do like 
10x or 50x that amount to truly, you know, get a handle on it. Comparable to Korea's 15,000 tests per day. Oh my gosh. Um, and and so we're still also harvesting a lot of um, old cases from two weeks ago that should have been diagnosed earlier. Uh, the new cases that have not been fully diagnosed. I think if you look at it in terms of U.S., the mortality in the U.S. just on the back of the napkin currently just. This is not the actual case fatality. This is just what how many deaths there are per cases identified. Mm-hmm. We're like at like four four percent or something like that. And we know the true um, we know the true mortality is probably one to you know two percent. Right. So the fact that we're seeing four means we're picking up a lot of deaths, which means we're picking a lot of older cases. Right. Right. A lot of the newer cases have not been identified. We have a lot of underdiagnosis. Uh, mm-hmm. This is why. You know, we're missing a lot of cases in the denominator. This right. is why we think there's definitely over 10,000, we think. But we don't know until we have enough headlights to scan the darkness um, around us right now. Yeah, okay. All right, a couple quick ones here on the way out. What's your advice for individuals or families, if you have any? And then also, I'd like to ask what you'd like to see from the .gov, what you'd like to see the CDC, et cetera, National Institutes of Health, what you'd like to see them uh, yeah. doing. Yeah, in terms of um, family, I think, I think we should prepare, but we shouldn't panic buy, because panic buying doesn't actually solve anything. I think we should prepare a family that are we able to work from home? Uh, are we able to... or um, if the school depart, uh, school districts cancel, can we handle school cancellations and still work uh, if needed? Mm. Um, and if we can't work from home, what accommodations can we work out with with doc, uh, with um, with our workplaces? These are the difficult conversations we need to have have. And if someone in our family needs to be quarantined, which could happen, uh, you know, it's based on any random exposure, do we have a bedroom in a house that we can be used as a dedicated room for someone that needs to be quarantined and isolated? All these are very difficult. Um, I don't have an answer for for everything, but we do need to kind of keep these things in mind going forward. Um, Okay. And as for government response, testing, 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 Yeah. uh, obviously. But, you know, allow, you know, allow states and private tests to carry out more tests. And right now uh, there are, it's ramping up Um, focus on vaccine development. But I think there's many scientific groups that are racing against the clock, trying to create a vaccine as soon as possible. Um, And also the other thing is Americans want faith in their government and certain. So in certain ways, the CDC has to report how many tests are being done, not just at CDC, but across the country. Americans need to know, you know, is it how many tests? Are we still at a bottleneck? We need answers for these. And CDC has recently, like, eliminated the number of, uh, eliminated the reporting for how many tests they're actually performing, which is very, very frustrating. Like, that, that it seems very, uh, you know, dystopian to kind of, like, muzzle that kind of information. Yes, I CDC agree. has to be transparent. Yeah, I and uh, CDC has to update its website over the weekend because, you know, not working over the weekend, not giving the people new information over the weekend is very frustrating. People just want answers. They want to see that the government is providing as much information as possible. 
And transparency, transparency is absolutely critical for trust in this crisis. Okay, absolutely agree with you. All right, last question. Has there been any progress that we know of with regard to a vaccination or immunization of some sort? Uh, Yes, so the vaccines, different groups have say they've developed a candidate vaccine, but it has to go through phase one testing, then phase two testing, um, and then optimally at phase three testing. And, uh, you know, that is still quite a ways off. Right, right. You know, one one year's time for vaccine would be a world record. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're probably saying maybe a year and a half. But in certain ways, there's also antiviral drugs that they're testing that already exists on the market for HIV and hepatitis C. Those drugs, they're being tested right now. We might, if the results are very positive, we might get early results in late April. Um, but uh, there's no guarantee only under extremely successful circumstances will they release and end the uh, studies early. But, you know, but hopefully we'll get answers on antiviral drugs in, in, uh, in a month or two. Okay. All right. Well, that's the end of my list. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. A lot of people around here are really glad to hear some what they feel is valuable and authentic information coming from you, and we don't have a lot of it here in the middle of Missouri right now. So I really appreciate your time and, and, uh, sure. and everything that you're doing. Uh, yeah, best of luck. Hope to talk soon again. Yep, we'll do it again. And uh, thanks again, Dr. Ding. Take care of yourself. Easy. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Dr. Eric Feigl Ding. He's an epidemiologist at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health. And he's also, he's a senior fellow at the Federation of American Scientists or something to that effect. <laughs> anyway valuable opinion and i'm glad i had a chance to talk with dr eric again this afternoon on the web you can find out information and really stay up to date with what dr eric ding is doing on twitter at dr eric ding d-r-e-r-i-c-d-i-n-g that's dr eric ding on twitter i'm certainly updated regularly there and i appreciate all the information that he is sharing with us and i'm glad to be in touch with dr eric and we'll we'll get him back if uh, if need be okay all right <clears throat> it's mike and you're listening to radio orbit on kopn columbia 89.5 fm we're about 5 minutes after uh, after midnight now on the 10th of march now 2020 let's play one here from our featured musicians of the evening they're called the dancing dead And this is Floating Frequency. I'll be back with you in just a few minutes.
Uh, there's another one from our featured musicians of the evening. They're called The Dancing Dead. That one is called Floating Frequency. Songs from their 2018 release called Terminals. All right, it's Mike, and you listen to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia, <clears throat> 89.5 FM. And we're streaming on the web at kopn.org. My website is Mike Hagan, M-I-K-E-H-A-G-A-N.com. All right, I got my friend from Colorado who I'm going to see if I can get on the air here. We'll see if we can actually do it while I'm talking to you. But we'll see if we can get Johnny to talk with us here. And, uh... Ha! <laughs> All right. I love doing this on the air. <clears throat> All right, try again here. We'll see if that works. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow, that's ringing. We'll see if he picks up. Johnny's my cab driver buddy from uh, from Colorado, and if he's up at this time of night, it'll be an interesting phone call. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice message. Nuts. All right, well, it was a good try. Anyway, if you want to get a, uh, if you want to get in touch with me, you can call me 573-443-8255 573-443-7380. Either way, uh, that'll get you on the line with me, and I'll put you on the air here, and you can chat about whatever. If you're uh, interested in commenting about this coronavirus business or something else, please feel free to give me a call. You know, my buddy Johnny, who I was talking to uh, while I was playing that piece from from Eric Ding, he is. Uh, uh, making the point that if we didn't know about this coronavirus thing, no, well, if we didn't know about it, we wouldn't know about it. In other words, people wouldn't, it's not that making that great of an impact that anyone would even know that it was happening were it not for the fact that everyone is, is running around with their hair on fire about it. Now that may not remain the case. Uh, it's hard, it's hard to say. There are many, many people uh, who are sort of divided on this issue <clears throat> as to what level of concern people should have uh, with regard to the, the, the coronavirus. And I think it's something that I, I brought up a week or two ago. It's like the, uh, the cry wolf factor is what I've come to call it. And we've been told so many times before that this or that is going to kill us. My friend Rich sent me a note just a little bit ago and somebody put together just a line of thought with uh, a timeline associated with it. And, you know, it's true. If you look backwards in time, you can find things that we're always being told are going to, are going to end us. Uh, for example, what Richie sent me here in 1999, we had Y2K was going to kill us all. 2001, anthrax was going to kill us all. 2002, West Nile is going to kill us all. 2003, SARS. 2005, bird flu. 2006, E. coli. 2007, 8. Of course, the economy is going to get us. 2009, we had swine flu. British petroleum and oil were going to kill us in 2010. Obamacare. <laughs> Obamacare. You're going to kill us in 2011. 2012, the Mayans had us finished with the end of the world in their calendar. Uh, you know, Ebola, 2014. Measles and ISIS, 2015. Zika, 2016. All right, so we, we have many, many examples over the course of the last number of years that, that just... Uh, you know, have, I think, conditioned us to the point where we're like, yeah, you know, it's, it's just one thing after another. And the problem is if you get one that actually really is legitimate, <laughs> you know, then, then you're kind of screwed if you, if you poo-poo it. But anyway, let's uh, switch gears here and say 
Hello, who's this? Welcome to Radio Orbit. Who do we have here Johnny. on the line? Oh, is it Johnny? Johnny. Hey, how are you, buddy? Hey, what's up? What's happening, dude? Uh, you know what? I'm going to have to walk away from my computer. Actually, you're, you're completely right. It's like um, the next disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, it's one thing after another. And, of course, everyone's so desensitized now that they don't believe any of it. Right. I mean, like I was talking to you earlier. It's like imagine like the virus AIDS, which is a tremendous virus, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like in the early 80s, it killed half the gay population population in a second in a day in a in a year yeah it was really quick and like you were saying earlier there's no internet there's no nothing back then i mean right there was no ability to even understand what's going on but there was no panic either mm. there was a panic but it was like among the gay population basically i mean aids basically killed almost all of the old men off yeah, if you were a gay man and you got HIV in in the eighties, there you're was a, a very good very good chance 80s, you were going to die. Yeah, like you were forty years old, you were going you're dead. There was no cure for it then. Right, right. Because I was talking to you earlier about like uh, like Magic Johnson was diagnosed with AIDS back in like probably in in two thousand. I mean, I'm two thousand. Like, I mean. It was like way young, like, like right, probably right. forty years ago. Yeah, yeah. He's still alive. I know that's amazing. I I remember He's thinking still that alive. I remember thinking that maybe there was somebody had a cure for it or something. I was I was figuring maybe if you had money or something you could you could right, you could exactly. get get it resolved because I could because I was so surprised and to this day Magic Johnson's super healthy. So right. Well, I mean, when they I'll never forget. I think I was in high school parking lot of my huh. high school in my car when he announced that he had AIDS and like he's dead. Yeah, yeah. I'm 55 years old. <laughs> <laughs> he's older than me. Yeah. You know, he's still alive. Yeah. Crazy. You know? But back then, everyone was, it was like a death sentence. Complete Right. You know, and like you were saying a little bit earlier, this thing about the coronavirus, if the news people, if in other words, if there wasn't any news about it, you wouldn't even know it was happening because there's uh, I mean, it's not, not obviously it's it's not causing that much trouble. I mean, unless people no, are like, cold. Yeah. 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 I mean, if people start dropping in the streets, I mean, I guess then, you know, you've got a problem. But I mean, other than right. that, you don't even know what's happening. Well, it's just never flu. But. A little bit more of a flu, but not enough even anyone to even care about. It's not like you're uh, bursting, like you're walking down the street and humans are like blowing up right in front of your face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm on the opposite end of like you, you guys and the radio guys and everyone else. I'm like, eh, it's not that big a deal. I mean, what are you going to do? One, you can't, you can't shut down the world. Right, right. I think that's really what it, that's what it really comes down to. I think I think they got to weigh their options. They say, well, look, you know, either either we shut down the world or we just let X number of people, you know, die and just let the thing run its course. You know. Well, now if someday they come up with a, a virus that's like ten percent kill rate, rate, you got to worry about it. Right? <laughs> right. You know, like okay, every ten people are going to be dead, and then it's like, oh, okay. Well, half these people don't even care anyway. They half half the oh. people that run the world are happy. They're like, man, there's too many people here anyway. Let's just let it roll, and course, we'll take out a few of, course, of them. You know, of course, <laughs> of course, it's, of course, half the people. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's not even close. I mean, it's like 
most of the people who control the world, I think, I mean, honestly, Columbia, Missouri, <laughs> I mean, and the listening audience, I mean, most of the people who control the world, you don't even know what they're controlling because they're, they're so far, you're so far removed from them. You have no idea what's going on. Right, right. It's a completely it, different world. There are people who, there are people who fly into, into, in helicopters like Kobe Bryant. He's and he's poor, <laughs> <laughs> right? Relatively speaking, yeah. yeah. Yeah, relatively speaking, he's like poor. He's like, he's like flying in helicopters. There's people way richer than him. <laughs> right. Actually, he was relatively rich, but it's like I don't know. I'm not an ep- epidemiologist mm-hmm. or all this other crapola. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> You know, I remember I remember the old George Carlin bit when Carlin was talking about like the people that run the world, and he's like, you know, he's he's like, it's really simple. He's like, there's a bunch of people that own the world, and you aren't one of them. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's like um, Jerry Seinfeld and and uh, Chris Rock talking about how they cannot perform on college campuses anymore. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you cannot do it. It's because, and I get it though, because you try to do any like, like sexual reference to any girl right now, you're an offender. You've offended yeah. them. Yeah, any, like, I mean, you can't make a joke about anybody or anything really, or because or someone's going to be offended and then you're going to take a bunch of crap for it. So, yeah, try to make a global warming joke, <laughs> 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 like a polar bear joke. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, my God. There'll be, like the polar bears will be okay. I think they'll be fine, man. It's like, how uh, do you do a polar polar bear joke on stage? You know, <laughs> right? Yep, that's a good way to get hit in the face with a bottle or something. You know, so. right. right. <laughs> oh man, cute ice. Oh sheesh. All right. Well, look, Johnny, I got to run, but it was good talking with you, man. I'll give you a buzz tomorrow or something. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll catch you later. <laughs> All right. That's my good friend Johnny. He's a interesting fellow out there in Denver, Colorado. He's an attorney, but he also drives a cab and has a very interesting perspective on the world. So anyway, I appreciate Johnny giving us a call and we'll try to get him back on the air one of these days and be a great regular segment. As a matter of fact, to have John come and talk to us once a week or every couple of weeks or something like that. So anyway, all right, it's Mike and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. It's about 20 minutes after midnight now on the 10th of March. 2020 and yeah we are uh, just kind of rolling along tonight phone numbers are 573-443-8255 573-443-7380 if you'd like to join the conversation I have something I'm going to play for you here in about five minutes um, we'll we'll let the uh, let that sit for a minute see if we can get any other phone calls between now and then but in a few minutes I'm going to play something that was recorded on Friday morning here at KOPN. I have a good friend whose name is Diana Moxon, and Diana does a radio program on Fridays here at KOPN at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's called Speaking of the Arts, and typically she would be uh, talking about the art scene in mid-Missouri here, and that includes theater and music and a lot of other things. But anyway, I do the engineering for Diana on Friday mornings, and this last Friday... 
which was, I guess it was the 7th, what, maybe the 6th? Yeah, the 6th of March. Diana did a wonderful interview with a couple of young men, uh, young men from Chechnya, uh, one of the southernmost provinces of Russia. And it was a compelling conversation and uh, heart-wrenching, as a matter of fact. But it has to do with the way homosexual men are treated in that part of the world. And it's uh, pretty scary and, and frightening and uh, saddening. Uh, but I think it's really important that people know what's happening. And uh, there was a movie that was made recently, a documentary film, that's called Welcome to Chechnya. And the director of the film along with a couple of the young men who are featured uh, in the film and uh, whose stories are told, were on the, uh, on the air with Diana on Friday morning. And I was sitting on the other side of the board uh, watching and listening to this conversation. They were here in the studio with us. They had come to Columbia for the True False Film Festival, which finished up yesterday, but a wonderful and very popular now, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, film festival. It happens once a year here in Columbia every March. It's about the 17th or 18th year that they've been doing it. And True False now is up there with the likes of Sundance and Cannes and other, other very prominent film festivals around the world. So anyway, the director of this film, Welcome to Chechnya, was here in the studio with Diana on Friday morning. And I was fortunate enough to be on the other side of the control board here and got to witness and listen to the remarkable conversation between Diana <clears throat> and the three men that were here in the studio that were part of this film called Welcome to Chechnya. So I thought it was great and I'm very happy that I'll be able to play that for you in just a few minutes here. Okay. All right. Um, let's say one more time. The phone number is 573-443-8255. 573-443-7380. I'll leave those with you for a minute here while I play another piece of music and then we come back with Diana Moxon and Welcome to Chechnya. This is another song from our featured musicians of the evening. They're called The Dancing Dead and this one is called Dead Sail. <laughs>
another one from the Dancing Dead. That one's called Dead Sail. It's Mike, you're listening to it here on Radio Orbit, KOPN, Columbia 89.5 FM. Welcome to Chechnya is an American documentary film. It was directed by a gentleman named David France, released earlier this year. The film centers on anti-gay purges in Chechnya uh, that happened in the late 2010s and probably still going on right now. Uh, the film is a collection of interviews with various lesbian, gay, transsexual, bisexual refugees about their, re- uh, their experiences in Chechnya. And not only is it a really interesting documentary, but it's also sort of a, um, a technological achievement as well. The director, uh, David France, wanted to pr- protect the interviewers or the interviewee's safety uh, by not giving up their identities and, and showing their faces on the screen. But he also wanted to kind of keep a human face on the story. And so not wanting to use conventional techniques of disguise, he opted to use some very advanced facial replacement techniques, some visual effects such as deep fake technology that uh, can be used for many different purposes, I imagine. But in this case, very cool what he was able to do. Uh, The film premiered at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival and has been screening around the country since then. It was presented here in Columbia just this last weekend at the True Falls Film Festival. My friend Diana Moxon had the opportunity to speak with uh, director David France on Friday morning. I was fortunate enough to be in the studio when it happened. And I'm going to play the uh, the interview for you, I guess, right now. i got to find it, though. <clears throat> uh, let's see. What did I do with it, you know? Where's my little jump drive? Here it is. SOA. That's what I call speaking of the arts. And here it is right now. I'll be back with you in about 35 minutes. It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia. Good morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxham. I love True False Weekend. We get the chance to see tens of incredible documentaries, meet the film's directors, and sometimes even the subjects of the documentaries too. What I love the most, though, is that in this era of us all being in our political and preference silos, this is a chance for us to have a massive shared experience, and not only within our own community, but with other people from across the country and from around the world. In such divided times, this oneness feels incredibly special. So let me start by saying a huge thank you to all the people who work tirelessly year-round to create this incredible fest in Colombia. To all the supporters and sponsors who helped to make such a huge fest financially viable. And to all the filmmakers and their subjects who let us into their lives and show us new truths about the world beyond our own experiences. For many years now, True False has designated one film as their True Life Fund, a philanthropic effort that raises money and awareness for the subjects featured in one of the documentaries. It is easy to forget, as we sit down for a weekend of entertainment, that for many of the lives we encounter in the documentaries, life is harrowing, and that many of them have put their lives on the line to tell us their story. The True Life Fund allows us as viewers to respond to the stories we see and create change by making a donation to the real life people whose stories are revealed. 
This year's True Life Fund film is Welcome to Chechnya, directed by David France. David is an investigative journalist and has written for Newsweek, The New York Times and New York Magazine. He directed the award-winning documentary The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson and the Academy Award-nominated documentary How to Survive a Plague. I am so delighted to welcome to today's show director David France, cinematographer and translator Igor Mayakotin, and one of the people who shared his life and his fight in Welcome to Chechnya, Maxim Lapunov. Maxim, Igor, David. Did I get that right? Good morning. <laughs> David, I got to watch your documentary the other night, and I have to admit, I was a little nervous about watching it because I knew it contained some short scenes of graphic violence against a community of people I love, value, and respect. But whilst it is certainly a story that was born out of hate, it is actually a documentary about love. And I'm curious, at what point of your filmmaking journey did that become apparent to you? Well, uh, thank you for having us here, Dan. Yes, it's uh, great to be on your show. Um, I think that... Uh, uh, you know, I, I also thought going into it that it was a story about a kind of a hate and hatred that hadn't uh, existed in decades and decades. This, this this desire to just wipe out an entire community um, of LGBTQ people in the south of Russia. And um, when I learned that uh, the a, a small group of activists in Russia had pulled together to create a kind of a vast underground network to get people to safety and to rescue people, actually. Um, uh, I wanted to go and tell that story. And that's that really is the story of love. That's the story of the community taking care of itself. That's the story of um, people reaching out uh, to help strangers. Um, and it's also, I discovered, um, certainly with a story of Maxime, that it's a story of um, kind of individual and romantic love also. And then that's really what everybody's fighting for there, just the, the ability to, um, to experience the full expression of one's heart. It, it is, and I think that I think that comes across very strongly in the film, and it is beautiful to watch that that love unfold as we watch the movie. Um, it's your third film, and it completes what you call your outsider activism trilogy. But tell us a little bit about what this film is about. Uh, this film really is about an, an amazing um, kind of courage. Um, that um, of the kind I have never experienced. Um, people who are, are, as activists, not at all uh, prepared to take on the kind of uh, dangers and risks to their own lives that they found themselves undertaking. And they did that because they couldn't not. Um, and that's what I was interested in finding. What is that core... Uh, feature inside some people, maybe most people, that allows them to to respond so selflessly to, to such a, a horror as this, um, whereas m most of us, I would imagine, um, uh, would run the other way. Uh, the people that I met doing this work um, didn't have to do it, yet they had to do it. And, um, uh, and, and I think that shows us the the, the power of the human spirit um, in a way and the, the ability to recognize and defend uh, someone else's humanity um, under extreme conditions and I was, I was incredibly moved by the work that they were doing and, um, and uh, by their interest in and willingness to allow me to witness it. 
It's called Welcome to Chechnya. Um, a lot of it is set not in Chechnya, but set in, in Russia and in, in Moscow. Why the title Welcome to Chechnya? Well, Chechnya is Russia, obviously. Yeah. It's, a, <laughs> uh, you know, the southern um, most uh, republic. Um, and uh, uh, I... I for the longest time, as I was shooting this film, I was in the network with, within Russian proper, not inside Chechnya. And there was something about going there, and I, uh, I accompanied the, uh, the activists on extractions, as they called them, of rescuing people by hand, um, in, in secret, um, in the middle of Chechnya, that... Um, that, that made me feel like, like, you know, kind of welcome to the real world, welcome to what's going on today. Um, uh, it, was, it, 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 invites, uh, uh, it invites us to witness this thing that, um, that has, we've been told is not happening uh, and invites us all to recognize that we're seeing it and knowing, having seen it, that we have some sort of obligation to, to do something about it. It's an incredibly dangerous film to make, not only for the subjects and the activists, but for you going in there too. How, what did you do to protect yourself? Well, I didn't feel, you know, there's still something in the world about being an American that, um, that gives a certain level of, of protection. I didn't feel that I was under any real threat of, um, um, you know, mortal threat, if you will. Um, I, uh, our security advisors suggested that um, that I certainly could be, um, you know, bounced around mm-hmm. by security forces and, um, you know, uh, handled very roughly. Um, and so that was the worst that I was worried about for me personally. I was much more worried about the people who were doing the work, that, that if there was anything that I did in my uh, uh, guerrilla-style filmmaking that might reveal who they were and what they were up to, that I would be endangering them. And they and the dan- the, those dangers for, um, for the Russian activists and, and even more particularly for the people who are in flight trying to mm-hmm. um, run for their own lives, th- th- those are the people I worried for the most. Max, uh, we, we, Max doesn't speak much English, so Igor is going to translate for us. So you're going to be hearing a little bit of Russian, and then and then you'll hear Igor vo- Igor's voice uh, in translation. Max, you are Russian, not Chechen, but you were working in Chechnya when you were abducted. Can you tell us why you were there and what happened that day? о том, что ты там делал в Чечне и что с тобой случилось. Здравствуйте всем. Да, меня зовут Максим. Я работал почти два года в Чечне. Yes, hi everyone. My name is Maxim. I worked for two years in Chechnya. Я хотел организовать там свой бизнес. Я занимался эвентом, то есть организацией праздников. I wanted to start my own business there. I was an event planner. Приехал я туда работать на всероссийскую ярмарку меда. I came to work there for the all Russian um, honey fair. И затем остался, чтобы попытаться развить свой бизнес. And then I decided to stay and to develop my own business there. За это время я научился делать всякие прикольные вещи из воздушных шаров. I started doing many wonderful, beautiful things with balloons. Uh, и uh, занимался вот такой uh, раздачей радости людям. And I was just giving happiness to people, really. 
And on the day that you were taken, you were making balloon animals. И когда тебя забрали, ты делал шары из зверей. А, да, вечерами а, я работал на улице, просто торгуя а, воздушными шарами и всевозможными игрушками. Это была одна из моих таких а, маленьких работ. Да, и в этот день меня забрали, а uh, видела очень много людей. And that was the day when I was kidnapped, I was taken, a lot of people saw that. Um, do you, what happened? Do you know, did you know where you were being taken or why you were being taken? Что случилось? Ты знал, кто тебя забирает, почему тебя забирают? Нет, это был обычный день, и я ничего не предвещал беды. No, it was an ordinary day, and I had no idea whatsoever what was going to happen to me. Одну неделю до того, как меня забрали, a week before that, из моего дома забрали моего друга. A friend of mine was detained from the house that I used to live in. Я много сил потратил на его поиски, писал заявление в полицию. I was trying to look for him. I filed some sort of an official search for this person. Все, что они мне говорили, это, наверное, он что-то натворил, и родственники его сами забрали, чтобы наказать. Его во дворе моего дома запихали в машину насильно, незаконно, и он очень громко кричал, звал на помощь. Конечно, я такой ситуации очень испугался и сразу позвонил его родственникам, и мы начали большие поиски. So so, а что с тобой случилось, когда тебя забрали? А его освободили, тебя? моего друга, да. А, освободили моего друга, он пришел ко мне, чтобы что-то мне сказать. Я как раз в этот день работал, продавал на улице воздушные шары. I was working that day selling the balloons. И uh, он подошел ко мне, попросил, подожди две минуты, я отдам заказ, и мы сможем пообщаться. And he said, he came to me and said, I'll wait here for a little bit, I'm gonna be right back. Но когда я вернулся, его уже не было. Um, but he never came. Uh, и буквально через два часа uh, ко мне подошли незнакомые абсолютно мне люди. And in about two hours, uh, strangers came up to me. Они не были одеты в рабочую форму, то есть полицейскую или военных. They were dressed as civilians. Они были в простой одежде. И один из них подошел, поздоровался со мной, назвал меня по имени. О, Макс, привет, давно не виделись, как дела? And one of them came to me and he said, Hey, Max, haven't seen you in a while. How have you been? Взял меня под руку и потащил. Grabbed me by my arm and started dragging me. Я ничего не понял, я даже не успел ничего понять. А через секунду подошел второй, взял меня под вторую руку, и они уже поволокли меня насильно. Буквально в паре метрах от меня был невысокий забор, за которым была припаркована машина. Там ждали еще двое. Они быстренько перепрыгнули через забор, взяли меня за ноги и начали перетаскивать через забор. Я начал кричать, звать на помощь. I started screaming, calling for help. Я очень сильно испугался. I was very scared. И а, подбежали многие люди, женщины, с которыми я работал на улице, начали мне помогать и звать на помощь других людей. And people who were there, they 
out in the streets. Uh, they saw that and they started screaming. Women started screaming and calling for help. Try to help me. Место, где я работал, это кинотеатр, и место для отдыха, это большой торговый центр. Поэтому там всегда очень много людей. И люди начали подбегать и тянуть меня, то есть пытаться отбить, защитить от этих неизвестных людей. Они достали оружие, и люди отошли сразу. And then the guys who were dragging me in the car, they pulled out guns, and then everyone just stopped. Меня засунули в машину и сказали, что обвиняют меня в убийстве. They put me in the van and they said, you're being accused of uh, murder. Я требовал, чтобы они показали удостоверение, кто они такие, но так этого и не произошло. I asked them for their IDs, but they didn't show me anything. В Грозном есть такая... Тенденция, значит, через каждые сто или двести метров находится охранник, специальный военный с оружием, который охраняет периметр города. In Grozny there are a lot of checkpoints uh, and there are people there with guns. Это армия Кадырова. This is Kadyrov's people. And Ramzan Kadyrov is the leader of the Chechen government. And Grozny is the capital city, which is where you were taken, you were abducted from. И эти военные подбежали также к нам, потому что увидели шум, крики, их было трое. Они записали мои данные, записали данные тех, кто меня запихал в машину. And then these people at a checkpoint, they stopped us and they wrote everything down, because they heard the screams in the van. И когда те люди, которые меня засунули в машину, объяснили мне, что-то им сказали, и нас отпустили, мы поехали. Um, and then they had a conversation, um, and we kept going. Меня отвезли в отдел уголовного розыска. And they uh, got me to a police station. И там я провел две недели, мучительные две недели. And I spent really horrible two weeks there. And you, they tortured you while you were there? Они пытали тебя. Да, меня избивали, очень много было... Комментариев очень плохих. Yes, they were beating me constantly, and uh, they were telling me really bad things right straight in my face. У меня была из ну отбита, наверное, у меня была в синяках вся спина, ягодицы, ноги, вся задняя часть тела была избита. My whole body was covered in bruises. Она просто была синяя. It was just blue. Спал я в маленькой камере, которая была просто залита кровью. Один угол был прям залит кровью. Вместо постели мне дали обычную картонную коробку, очень большую, на которой я мог спать. У меня забрали куртку, забрали кофты, я был только в одних штанах, обуви и простой футболки. Uh, they took away my jacket, my sweater. I was just sleeping in um, pants and a t-shirt. Издевались почти каждый день. Не почти, а каждый день. And they were making fun of me every day. Били, сначала очень жестоко били, потом просто били руками, то есть ладошками ударяли, так, чтобы синяков больше не было. They were beating me violently, and at some point they started hitting me with the palms of their hands so there would be no bruises on my body. Did you, they say they were going to kill you? Они говорили, что тебя убьют. Да, каждый день я это слышал, что такие как я, то есть геи, 
не должны жить на белом свете, что я приехал в Чечню совращать, якобы совращать людей, чеченцев. Yes, they've been telling me that such people cannot live, that gays cannot live on this earth, and they told me that I came to Chechnya to seduce people. Для них я извращенец, который портит их народ. I was a pervert for them who was spoiling their people. И они намеревались, они конкретно мне в лицо говорили, что мы тебя убьем, ты не ты не будешь жить. And they would tell me straight in my face that they're gonna kill me and I'm not gonna get out of this cell alive. Why do you think they did let you go eventually? Почему ты думаешь, тебя отпустили? Спасибо моим родственникам, моему парню, девушке, которая не дозвонилась до меня. Это не моя девушка, это моя подруга. Не дозвонилась до меня вовремя. Thank God my family and my boyfriend, they started looking for me. Я рассказывал об истории, когда забрали моего друга из дома. И я очень перепугался и сообщил сразу своим родственникам, что если что-то со мной случится, мы будем созваниваться каждый день. Если я не отвечу, поднимайте тревогу. I told my family when my friend got missing from uh, the apartment building where he used to live. I told my family, if I if I go missing, please raise the alarms and go look for me, please. В это время уже чувствовалась какая-то странная ситуация в Грозном. And it was a it was a tense time in Grozny at that time. In 2017. 2017 was when the government had a huge crackdown, and that was when it began to be uh, come out into the Western media too. There was an article, I think, in the New Yorker, correct, by Marsha uh, Gessen, Gessen yeah. which was what in, uh, inspired you to go and make the story, David. Exactly. Yeah. And um, one of the decisions that you made was how you wanted to portray the subjects while retaining their anonymity, which was really important. And you didn't want to go down the option of using actors or disguising the people's voices in a darkened room. You uh, instead dove into uh, visual effects and Uncanny Valley. Would you just tell us a little bit about that journey and how you... Because it's amazing to watch the film, that how, how the faces look. Tell us a bit about that. Well, this what's going on in Chechnya is really a kind of a, an a ethnic cleansing from within. You know, it's this effort, uh, a stated, formal, uh, uh, top-down, government-controlled um, uh, effort to uh, eradicate uh, the LGBTQ community, to cleanse the blood of the Chechen people. That's the way it's described. This is really an official campaign. Um, And uh, and what everybody knows who who has managed as uh, Maxim has to escape is that they that's not enough that getting away is not enough leaving the country is not enough um, you will be pursued to the end of the earth so um, the people who have began their journeys as I was filming um, knew that they could not. Uh, leave behind any record of their ongoing ex existence. Um, and that had limited in, in significant ways the way the news media had covered what was going on there. Um, and I asked if it wouldn't be possible for me when I first met the, the people who were um, bravely trying to make their way to out of there, if it wouldn't be possible for me to um, uh, shoot them Uh, and watch them and follow them um, uh, with their faces exposed to me so that I could see what their journey was like for them. So I could 
um, experience, you know, their emotional, um, uh, um, you know, lives, I guess, at this horrendous time. Mm. And, um, and that I would find some way to disguise them. So I made them that promise. Um, I'm grateful that they, um, agreed. Um, and, um, and then uh, I had to, um, with Igor's help and the rest of my crew's help, had to find a way to do it <laughs> that would actually allow us to find that that humanity and tr- track that humanity through the film without giving away anybody's identities. And um, so I tried what other documentary filmmakers have tried, and all of it seemed either false or dehumanizing. Um, and what eventually we, we, we started working with was this new technology that would allow us to put someone else's face digitally over the faces of the people who we were shooting. Um, and uh, it's, we're not asking the, the actor, let's, let's say, to act. We're just taking the elements of his or her face ingesting it into this algorithm and using that algorithm to map over the faces of the people who I was following in the film. So the expressions are belong to the people I was shooting. The, uh, the eye movements, the mouth movements, the words that come out, all of that belong to the person I shot. But they're shielded with this digital um, skin that um, that um, it's kind of deep fake technology. It, it's 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 worrying how it can be used badly. But I mean, you used it to I used it to effects. find a kind of a deep truth, right? right? So that so what what it allowed me to do is um, to give back to people like Maxime in the film the power to tell their own story, mm. to re. State re- reinstate their humanity. Um, it's uh, you know t- for them to tell the truth. You know for mm-hmm. the truth to come out, and um, and and in that way it does take the deep fake um, AI work and turns it right on its head and makes it a powerful tool for mm-hmm. uh, revealing truths that otherwise would remain hidden out of fear and threat. Max. Um, you are the first survivor of the Chechen purge to testify in court about your detainment and torture. Um, but as we see in the film, the legal system that you have faith in lets you down. Um, the case is now being pursued at the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg. But what can they do? I mean, Chechen and Russia do their own thing. What teeth does the European courts of human rights have to change what's happening in Chechnya? They do have a, tr- a, a traditional strength in regard to cases brought against Russia. Max, as you point out, uh, exhausted all domestic remedies and then moved into the to the European courts, where um, they they do their own investigation and they they render a judgment. Um, in this case, if they uh, if their judgment uh, Maxime's allegations, which I'm confident that it will, um, it is the uh, the the penalty to Russia uh, is twofold. First, that they must um, compensate uh, victims of this kind of torture, uh, and uh, in this case, it would be Maxime and his family. And uh, second, that they would uh, be required under this ruling to actually investigate the crimes that were alleged inside the country to, and, and to bring them uh, faithfully through 
the Russian uh, just system of criminal justice. And um, uh, interestingly, um, the judgments from the European Court of Human Rights um, have always produced the pressure necessary to get those kind of investigations moving. So um, we, it's going to be another year, probably, before Maximin gets any sort of satisfaction from the courts. Meantime, he and his family are, are living hard lives in exile. They're still living in the shadows. They're still worried about what, um, what their safety is like because of the, the fact that Maxime is really literally the sole mm. person to expose this um, in a public way. Um, to the rest of the world. And um, uh, so it, it's going to be another year before I think they, they might be able to feel comfortable and, um, you know, and do normal things like go out and get jobs and, um, you know, walk down the streets without, without uh, fear of reprisal. Max, you are so incredibly brave to have taken on the whole Russian government. What made you decide to do that, to come out of the shadows and to be the one person that does, does testify? I knew I wanted to do that uh, right away. When they released me from that horrible basement, Я с первых минут начал искать, кто, как мне подать заявление, как мне наказать этих людей. I started to look for legal ways to battle against these people and to find a way to punish them. Я разговаривал со всеми своими знакомыми адвокатами. I was speaking with my friends who are lawyers. И все говорили только одну вещь, что любое мое заявление вернется в Чечню и будет расследоваться там. And everyone told me that no, any complaint that I would make would go back to Chechnya. It would, would be uh, processed there. Этим будут заниматься те люди, которые меня избивали. And so people who would be working on my case would be people who were actually beating me uh, at that police station. И поэтому я очень хотел найти тех людей, сторонников, которые бы мне помогли. Я знаю, что это очень дорого судиться, в принципе. I knew that it was going to be a lengthy and a very expensive process, uh, but I wanted to do that. Uh, I wanted justice. Все мои сбережения, все, что у меня было, забрали те, кто издевался надо мной. All my savings were taken by people who uh, kidnapped me. У меня не было ничего. I had nothing. Поэтому я искал, как бы мне себя защитить. That's why I was trying to look for ways to protect myself. И тогда я познакомился с российской ЛГБТ-сетью, которая взяла на себя обязательство помогать мне в этом плане. And that's when I got introduced to the Russian LGBT network, who took on the responsibility to guide me through the uh, through this process. Они познакомили меня с комитетом против пыток, которые собрали основную огромную доказательную базу. Together with the Committee Against Torture in Russia, we started working on this case. We were actually collecting the evidence of what had happened. Three people were working on this case. В них были собраны все доказательства каждого моего шага, который я делал. И Россия опровергла все, то есть я все выдумал. And even though we had the evidence, Russia denied everything. Ничего не доказано. Nothing is proved. 
David, before we end, this film has been shown at Sundance, it's been shown at the Berlin Film Festival and now here and it's going to be released on HBO this summer. What is your hope for this film? Uh, well, we, we, our main hope is that we relaunch the awareness of what's happening there. That, that as Maxim says, Russia denies it. That they refuse to investigate. They just say it hasn't happened and it's not happening. Um, we, uh, this film is evidence that it does happen and it has happened and it is still happening. And um, and. And anybody who watches this film or knows about this film becomes a witness also. And we want um, we want to uh, magnify the voice of Maxime as much as possible and put as much pressure as we possibly can on Kadyrov and his uh, protector in the Kremlin. Um, and the second thing we want the film to do is to uh, bring... Uh, support to the network of the the LGBT network, as he mentions, plus the Moscow Community Center, the two groups on the ground who are doing this incredible, incredible, extraordinary work, and also to help bring support to Maxime in his case as he pursues it through the courts. And you could do that on uh, welcome to Chechnya.com and make donations um, to, to help further the work that, that needs to be furthered here. Thank you so much. My first act guests today have been film director David Franz, cinematographer Igor Mayakotin, and activist Maxime Lapunov. The subject of David Franz's new documentary, Welcome to Chechnya, which is this year's True Life Fund film at the True False Film Festival. Welcome to Chechnya will be screened three times over the weekend. This afternoon at 2.30 at Jesse Hall at 12.15 tomorrow at the Missouri Theatre and on Sunday at 12.45 back at Jesse. Even if you don't have a pass for the festival, tickets are still available for each of those screenings. And as I said earlier, it will also be shown on HBO this June. Spasiba. Jailo, hang on, I must get this right. Jailayom Udachi. Спасибо. Очень приятно. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. You're listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM, KOPN Columbia. And after a short break, I'll be chatting with musician Yasmin Williams, who'll be performing at this weekend's True False Film Festival. Don't wander off. All right. Wow. Holy smokes. What a fantastic interview. And what a heart-wrenching story. Yeah, so that was Friday morning. Diana Moxon on Speaking of the Arts, speaking with uh, American documentary film producer, director David France, and a couple of the young men involved in a remarkable film called Welcome to Chechnya that is widely available now, most likely. If you want to find it, you can probably find it online. Um, Certainly it will be available to watch on uh, HBO not too uh, not too long from now sometime this this spring or summer so anyway fantastic job by Diana and if you want to hear more of uh, Diana Moxon you can find her Friday mornings at 10 o'clock right here on KOPN 89.5 FM that's the kind of radio we do for you here and I'm real proud to be a part of it okay now um, you know that is just a, a unbelievably uh, messed up uh, type of a situation that's happening in Chechnya, and it is an indication or a poster child of sorts of, you know, those types of things, perhaps not exactly the same as what's happening there, but there are tremendous injustices that are happening all over the world, indeed right here in our own country. It's uh, it's heartbreaking, and at the same time, 
it's important to, to find out about it and, and try to, uh, you know, if nothing else, to, to inform others about what's happening in, you know, in different places around the world. You know, the U.S. situation, I would like to comment, you know, that, it, and it's hard to, to phrase this correctly, it might, you know, my heart just wants to say, gosh, it's not that bad here. Um, and I know that that's not the right way to say it, but that's just the way it comes out. When I think about the, uh, the difficulty that marginalized populations or minority populations have in this country, and I compare it to something like what's happening there in Chechnya, I think, yeah, I mean, we could do better here for sure. But, uh, but we're, we're actually doing quite well, relatively speaking. And, and, uh, again, it doesn't mean that we that we couldn't do better, but but the kind of stuff that that is described in Welcome to Chechnya does not happen here in America, and I'm glad to say that it doesn't. So, anyway, we'll uh, talk about that perhaps more in the future. That's a fantastic conversation to be had, though. So once again, kudos, uh, Diana Moxon, and uh, to David France and Maxim and Alex and everybody involved in making that film. All right, it's Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM on the web, streaming kopn.org. My website is Mike Hagan, M-I-K-E-H-A-G-A-N, MikeHagan.com, and you can find information about me there. My email address is MikeHagan at MikeHagan.com, and the website has all the old programs. You can go to the archives there. You can go to the music archives and find information about the folks that have presented wonderful music on this program like the band tonight called the dancing dead we'll hear another one from them in just a few minutes and we'll come back and do space weather i think i haven't done i feel like i haven't done space weather in a couple weeks and we haven't done much news i've been sort of coronavirus out for the last couple three weeks and uh, you know hopefully that'll just be a passing phase and that's not uh, that's more than just a metaphor so anyway, let's uh, play a piece of music here. This one is called Cricket Collapse. It's The Dancing Dead. You're listening to it here, Radio Orbit, KOPN, Columbia.
stuff here from the Dancing Dead. That was called Crooked Collapse from their 2018 release called Terminals. All right, you're listening to it here. It's Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, streaming on the web, kopn.org, and uh, information about this program at Mike Hagan, M-I-K-E-H-A-G-A-N.com. All right, we're going to shift gears a little bit here and do something to kind of lighten up the mood. Been pretty serious for quite a long time, and (laughs) this will help you feel a little bit better about things. It's just one more way of reducing your liberty and reminding you that they can fuck with you anytime they want, as long as you put up with it. As long as you put up with it. Which means, of course, anytime they want. Because that's what Americans do now. They're always willing to trade away a little of their freedom in exchange for the feeling, the illusion of security. What we have now is a completely neurotic population obsessed with security and safety and crime and drugs and cleanliness and hygiene and germs. There's another thing, germs. Where did this sudden fear of germs come from in this country? Have you noticed this? The media constantly running stories about all the latest infections, salmonella, E. coli, hantavirus, bird flu, and, and Americans, are they panic easily, so now everybody's running around scrubbing this and spraying that and overcooking their food and repeatedly washing their hands, trying to avoid all contact with germs. It's ridiculous, and it goes to ridiculous lengths. In prisons, before they give you a lethal injection, they swab your arm with alcohol. It's true. It's true. It's true. Well, well, they don't want you to get an infection. And you can see their point. Wouldn't want some guy to go to hell and be sick. It would take a lot of the sportsmanship out of the whole execution. Fear of germs. Why these fucking pussies? You can't even get a decent hamburger anymore. They cook the shit out of everything now because everybody's afraid of food poisoning. Hey, where's your sense of adventure? Take a fucking chance, will you? You know how many people die in this country from food poisoning every year? 9,000, that's all. It's a minor risk. (laughs) Take a fucking chance, bunch of goddamn pussies. Besides, what do you think you have an immune system for? It's for killing germs. But it needs practice. It needs germs to practice on. So, so listen. So listen. If you kill all the germs around you and live a completely sterile life, then when germs do come along, you're not going to be prepared. And never mind ordinary germs. What are you going to do when some super virus comes along that turns your vital organs into liquid shit? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get sick, you're going to die, and you're going to deserve it because you're fucking weak and you got a fucking weak immune system. Now, hey, God damn it. Hey. All right. Let me tell you a true story about immunization, okay? When I was a little boy in New York City in the 1940s, we swam in the Hudson River, and it was filled with raw sewage, okay? We swam in raw sewage, you know, to cool off. And at that time, the big fear was polio. Thousands of kids died from polio every year. But you know something? In my neighborhood, no one ever got polio. No one, ever. You know why? Because we swam in raw sewage. 
It strengthened our immune systems. The polio never had a prayer. We were tempered in raw shit. So, so personally, I never take any special precautions against germs. I don't shy away from people who sneeze and cough. I don't wipe off the telephone. I don't cover the toilet seat. And if I drop food on the floor, I pick it up and eat it. I eat it. Yes, I do. Even if I'm at a sidewalk cafe in Calcutta, the poor section, on New Year's morning during a soccer riot. And you know something, in spite of all that so-called risky behavior, I never get infections. I don't get them. I don't get colds, I don't get flu, I don't get headaches, I don't get upset stomachs. And I, you know why? Because I got a good, strong immune system and it gets a lot of practice. My immune system is equipped with the biological equivalent of fully automatic military assault rifles with night vision and laser scopes. And we have recently acquired phosphorus grenades, cluster bombs, and anti-personnel fragmentation mines. So, when my white blood cells are on patrol, reconnoitering my bloodstream, seeking out strangers and other undesirables, if they see any, any suspicious-looking germs of any kind, they don't fuck around. They whip out the weapons, they wax the motherfucker, and deposit the unlucky fellow directly into my colon. Into my colon. There's no nonsense. There's no Miranda warning. There's none of that three strikes and you're out shit. First defense, bam, into the colon you go. And speaking of my colon, I want you to know I don't automatically wash my hands every time I go to the bathroom, okay? Can you deal with that? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. You know when I wash my hands? When I shit on them. That's the only time. That's the o And you know how often that happens? Tops, tops, two, three times a week, tops. Maybe a little more frequently over the holidays, you know what I mean? And I'll tell you something else, my well-scrubbed friends. You don't always need a shower every day. Did you know that? It's overkill. Unless you work out, or work outdoors, or for some reason come in intimate contact with huge amounts of filth and garbage every day, you don't always need a shower. All you really need to do is to wash the four key areas. Armpits, asshole, crotch, and teeth. Got that? Armpits, asshole, crotch, and teeth. In fact, you can save yourself a whole lot of time if you simply use the same brush on all four areas. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I got to clap, too. All right, there you go. A little George Carlin to lighten the mood. And... Uh, uh, you know, and some some reasonably decent advice kind of mixed in there as well. You know, everything in moderation, as they say, including moderation is sort of my uh, addition to that phrase. But, you know, overkill is overkill. And let's not get too excited about things. OK. All right. It's Mike. And you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. Big thank you to my buddy Richie Hayes, who sent that timely piece from George Carlin and uh, hi to Rich out there in Colorado, Johnny as well. All right, let's see. What do we got? Uh, about 22 minutes after the hour now on 
10th of March. Can you believe it? Already March 10th, 2020. And I was going to play some more music, but I haven't done space weather for a while, so let's just do it here, okay? Believe it or not, there actually is a sunspot that has been identified. You know, it's the first time in quite some time because we are in solar minimum and there were actually 50 days straight in 2020 where, well, I shouldn't say 50 days straight, but so far there have been 50 days over the course of 2020, which is, you know, we've had about 70 days so far in the entire year. And about 50 of those days have been completely sunspot free. So the solar disk has been absolutely clear. But we had one pop up a couple of days ago, back on March 8th, bubbled up from beneath the sun's surface and a couple of pretty strong radio bursts out of that area of the sun. Let's take a break here, though, and come back to Space One in a minute, but we'll say hello to one of our listeners here. Hi, who's this? Hi, welcome to Orbit. Who's this? I guess we lost you there. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, they're... uh, like I said, sunspot activity. First time in quite some time. Doesn't mean much, but interesting nonetheless. Uh, on March 8th, along with that sunspot that showed up, we also had a little bit of a hum that rippled through the Earth's magnetic field. It lasted about two hours, and it caused compass needles in the Arctic to jiggle back and forth. Not a whole, uh, not, not, not a significant amount, but, you know, maybe a tenth of a degree, of a degree, something like that. The event was recorded by a number of people that have magnetometers and look at this kind of stuff. All right, we'll try one more time. Welcome to Radio Orbit. Hi, who's this? Hello, hello. Hey, Tom. Hey, who's this? Johnny. Oh, hi, John. How are you? Good, man. You like that uh, George Carlin? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It was classic. I loved every minute of it. One of the funniest things ever. Oh, yeah. Hey, could you tell Mike to play, um, I mean, it might be illegal, like, technically, but not really. Um, play, uh, it had by a century, tragically hip. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it for yeah, sure. Yeah, man. Close, uh, oh, it's you, Mike. <laughs> it is me, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm on delay, man. Yeah, play it out, man. Play it on your way out, man. It's illegal, but what the fuck? <laughs> no, that's not illegal, man. It's to- yeah, I don't care anymore. It's to- I thought it was like some it's producer to- you talked about. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally legal. Um, oh, yeah, just play... Um, yeah, oh, ahead, ahead by a Century. I'm going to play it here in a few minutes. I'll finish Space Weather, and then I'll play that one by the Tragically yes. Hip. All right? Yeah, it's awesome. All right, cool. I'll talk to you later, brother. I just want to hear it. Anyway, I'm like on YouTube, and I'm like listening to music, so... That's a great record. That was called um, uh, um, Trouble in the, the Hen House. Song. Trouble, Absolutely. trouble at the hen house, and believe it or not, 1996, John. Ouch! It wasn't <laughs> even the, the best song ever, but I mean, I thought I thought. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, man, I'm gonna run. Yeah. Up. Uh, listen, listen up. Right. I'll play it in a second. Okay. Yeah, you play it. All right, later. All right, that's uh, Johnny. We're gonna play one for him in a minute here. Let's go back and finish space weather. We talked about that magnetosphere disruption. They call those waves pulsation continuous or PC for short. They're called PC waves. That's kind of funny in 
in light of uh, today's sort of political environment. But at any rate, there are a number of different types of those, and they have different ranges, which really has to do with the, the length of time that they are actually uh, recorded. But anyway, it has to do with something, uh, some, some sort of phenomenon that happens in the Van Allen radiation belts is what this has been uh, associated with. They are harmless, uh, apparently, but um, yeah, something, another, another strange phenomenon that we really don't know that much about. And you kind of got to listen real closely and look very closely if you have this type of equipment that's, that's able to, uh, to detect and, and monitor these strange magnetosphere disruptions. But anyway, of course, it has to do with the relationship between the sun and the earth as well. I mean, that magnetic relationship between those two has been made really clear and, and something that we really, really need to learn, learn more about. So anyway, tonight, as a matter of fact, right about now... Um, Tuesday, March 10th, 2.30 Eastern Time, which is 1.30 our time. So just about two minutes from now, the moon will reach perigee. And we also have a full moon right now. Uh, and if you go outside, if you've got clear skies, you'll have a beautiful view of it. Uh, perigee is the situation in which the moon, the moon is at its closest point to the Earth in its orbit. I've mentioned this before, but the moon doesn't uh, spin around the Earth in a perfectly circular orbit. It's an elliptical orbit. And so there are times when the moon is a little bit further away from the Earth, and there are times when it's closer. Well, right now, uh, literally two minutes from now, the moon will be as close as it ever gets to the Earth. And that's what we call perigee. It'll be about 221,905 miles from the center of our planet, two minutes from now. Um, sometimes the media will call, uh, will call a perigee moon a supermoon, but that's really not that appropriate. Uh, usually the supermoon has to do with the angle of observa observation, where it is in the sky when it's, uh, when it's full, and you get sort of a, mag uh, a magnification effect uh, from the atmosphere, and it'll make the, the moon appear significantly larger than it would otherwise. Uh, on on a, a, a moon that's at perigee, like it is tonight, uh, normally won't appear more than 5 to 7% larger than average, and that's difficult, if not impossible, for most observers to, to kind of ascertain. So anyway, either way, the moon, as close as it gets to the Earth right about now. All right, tomorrow... <clears throat> Uh, tomorrow you can, well, you know, the whole time, uh, during winter is a wonderful time to see Orion, the hunter, probably my favorite of all the major constellations, but February is awesome. And all last month was really cool for a number of different, um, astronomical observations, but, uh, about an hour after sunset now, you can look southwest and see Orion the Hunter, and it will be situated in such a way that Orion will appear to be aiming his bow west toward Taurus, the bull constellation. Down beneath the feet of Orion, you will have Lepus the Hare, and beside him is Canis Major, the faithful hunting dog of Orion the Hunter. So the 
the constellation Canis Major, uh, the dog, the big dog, I guess is the way that it would actually be translated, also contains the star Sirius, which is the brightest star in the northern hemisphere and shines at a magnitude of about negative 1.4. The lower the magnitude, the brighter the object. And of course, the star Betelgeuse, which has been in the news quite a bit over the last six months, is part of the constellation Orion up on the right shoulder there. And Betelgeuse is a red supergiant star that has been in the news a lot because an inexplicable fading in the brightness of that star over many months. And now it's begun to brighten again, but only about 10% from its uh, dimmest point at the end of February. And um, nobody really knows what's going on with Betelgeuse. Some, t- some scientists say that it's an indication that it is going to go supernova uh, or nova, uh, which means that it will collapse on itself and then explode. And if that happens during our lifetime, it would be a, a momentous occasion and something that would be remembered for generations because it would light up the night sky uh, as bright or brighter than the moon, than a full moon, and would be, uh, would be visible during the day for, for an extended period of time. So it would be a really remarkable thing that we would see up there in the heavens on a regular basis if that actually happened, or if it happened with any, with any other um, star that uh, you know is in the uh, really in our in our galaxy here. Um, we really have not happen, uh, had that happen um, since we've been observing. So anyway, on Thursday, Mercury will be low and close to the horizon pretty much the whole month. But it's getting easier to find as we move forward into the month of March. It'll be in the early morning sky, about an hour before sunrise. The smallest planet and the closest one to the sun will be about 10 degrees above the horizon and shining at a magnitude of about 0.8. It'll be a little bit southeast of the sun as, uh, as the sun is just coming up over the horizon. What else we have? Anything else here to talk about? Well, Friday the 13th will mark the 165th anniversary of Percival Lowell's birth. Percival Lowell was one of many astronomers who believed that Mars was actually inhabited by native life forms and believed that canals existed and were actually there for irrigation purposes Now, although Mars does not have canals, as we've come to know over the years and scientific exploration of that planet, you can observe the red planet that fascinated Percival Lowell uh, in in the hours before sunrise, um, toward the middle of the month here. You know, Mars will be about 15 degrees or so above the horizon uh, well, about an hour before sunrise, and you can you can watch it uh, about you know a couple hours before that too. So you know maybe three, four, or five o'clock in the morning. And if you follow a line east of that red planet, you will find Jupiter and then Saturn on Friday morning. So uh, yeah, not only the anniversary of Percival Lowell's birthday, 
but also a nice alignment of Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn on that Friday morning. All right. Okay. Well, we've got about uh, 25 minutes left of the program here. We're going to play a song here from our featured musicians of the evening. Actually, we're not. We're going to play this one for, for Johnny. He wanted to hear Ahead by a Century, but I want to hear this one called The Apartment Song. This is the Tragically Hip from their 1996 record called Trouble at the Hen House. This is The Apartment Song. You're listening to it here on Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia.
Yeah. All right. Tragically hip, perhaps my favorite band of all time. All right, it's Mike. You're listening to it here, Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, on the web, streaming at kopn.org. Hello to everybody out there listening. It's pretty cool when I can pull up my little map here and I can see where everybody's listening to, at least on the web. I can't tell where people are listening, of course, on the traditional airwaves, but online I can tell, and it's pretty cool. There are a lot of people listening all over the place. So hello to everyone, and I appreciate you listening to the program tonight. All right, we've got about 20 minutes left in the show. Let's go through the news a little bit. I haven't done much news lately except Corona Corona lately for the last couple of weeks. So let's see what we've got here that I haven't, uh, that I haven't talked about. All right. Um, asteroid size comparison for decades. Cartographers have been hiding covert illustrations inside Switzerland's official maps. It's kind of an interesting story. I like cartography. I've always thought that map making is really kind of cool. But uh, anyway, it, it turns out that these cartographers who have been making maps in uh, and of Switzerland, and this is, uh, of course, something you can find available on the website of the Switzerland, uh, the Swiss Federal Office of Topography. It's called Swiss Topo. And in a a series of photos is called Journey Through Time. A timeline displays 175 years of Switzerland's cartographic history, advancing in uh, increments of five to 10 years. And over the course of the two minute sort of uh, uh, film, I guess it's more like a slideshow, uh, you see how Switzerland is drawn and then redrawn with increasing precision over the course of many, many years. But anyway, uh, in the midst of these map-making operations, uh, some clever gentlemen and women have cleverly added fun little, like, Easter eggs in the map. If you look closely enough, like, you might be looking at a mountain range or whatever, and you'll see, like, a, a little gopher <laughs> that somebody sketched into the side of the mountain or something like that. But very interesting stuff and kind of cool that it's actually been going on for a long, long time and nobody even knew about it. It was sort of like a little secret, uh, uh, I guess, like a little secret society that these cartographers have and they all have their little way of leaving their, leaving their calling card, as it were, in the maps that they draw. All right. Um, in semi-arid Africa, Farmers are transforming the underground forest into life-giving trees. This is a story that was inspired by Julia Watson, who was on the program a couple weeks ago. Julia wrote a wonderful book called Low Tech, Designed by Radical Indigenism. But uh, I came across this story and I uh, want to read a little bit of it to you here. This is from February 11th. Around the world, more than 2 billion hectares that's more than 5 billion acres of land. Uh, that's an area larger than Russia. They are degraded. Degradation can take many forms, from the clearing of forests, soil erosion, or the decline of nutrients in the soil, all of which result in less productive land. The loss of soil fertility is dragging down agricultural yields, especially for poor farmers who cannot invest in fertilizers to replace the natural nutrients that are washed away when the soil erodes. 
in the early and mid-1980s, soil fertility fell in marginal areas surrounding the Sahara Desert in Africa as people cut trees to make room for agriculture and the soil loss accelerated. At the same time, there have been severe droughts and many people have died uh, in in Ethiopia alone. Um, As the attentiveness waned, though, a practice known as farmer-managed natural regeneration, FNMR, FMNR, took root in the sands. Farmers saw that trees and bushes could protect fields from harsh winds that blew crop seeds away. All right, this is going to be interesting. It's probably my buddy Johnny again, but we'll say hello and welcome to Radio Orbit. Hi. Who's this? Johnny. Again. <laughs> Hi, John. How are you? What's going on? That guy keeps listening. I'm like going, what is going on? In a month, nobody will care. It will be spring. Oh, you're talking about the coronavirus? Oh, hell yeah, man. No one will will care about it. Do you think people care? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what will happen. I mean, if it just, if it just Peter, I mean, if people start dying and and overloading the hospitals, then it'll be another story. But if, if if, if it just, if it just peters out, then no, I I think it'll just just, go away like everything else. Internet hype about everything else. The NBA, NBA championships will start in, you know, NCAA, and nobody cares. Yeah, it's, yeah, I know most people nobody don't. Even, half, half people wouldn't even know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I love how you. I love how you told me that one of one of your customers actually thought that coronavirus may have come from the beer Corona, and he was being serious about it. And it's legit. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not even. It's not like people are choking. I mean, it literally is a month. Nobody will care about this at all. I hope and you're right, stock man. Stock market will keep pummeling down. They'll beat people. Like beat people with ties on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, and they'll, they'll beat all their, all their money. Out of them. They'll, st- they'll steal all their money. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yep. that, that's and an old story that's been happening, and, and they're, they're doing yep, it again. And say, yeah, they'll steal all their money, and life will go on. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? It's a flu. Well, I mean, it's like forget it's about like it. It's like Carlin said: just get the thing and let your immune system right. get rid of it. Like you know. Yeah, it's not like exactly. It's not like it's um, a bomb just went off in your house or something, <laughs> or, or like or anywhere. I mean, it's, it's no big deal. It's not. No, nobody cares. <laughs> the only reason people know about it is the internet and because of communication. You know, twenty years ago, nobody would have known about it. That's right. You know, coronavirus. No, twenty years ago, nobody drank Corona beers. <laughs> Which is what's causing this whole thing. <laughs> All right, dude. I mean, like, <laughs> oh my God, you're killing me. All right, well, well, twenty years ago, nobody would have known about it. We'll have to, yeah. we'll have to mark our calendars. And on, on, uh, let's see, on April, April the tenth is no April 6th is a Monday April 13th is a Monday I'll get you back on the air on Monday April 13th a month from now and we'll see what uh, we'll see what's new in the news and if coronavirus is still a thing yeah, or if something will be up, I'll bet you something up. is taking its place yeah you're right 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 exactly and Joe Biden will be the next president <laughs> oh god can you even imagine this 2020 election cycle it's going to be it's like... Be awesome, man. I mean, imagine being a writer for Saturday Night Live. <laughs> oh, man. I'm thinking it's going to get harder and harder because because the, the real life stuff is, is as good or better than the stuff they can come up with. Well, you know what? 
It'd be funny, actually, if they're very clever as they could just, like, just show real-life clips. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Just re- reenact the stuff they're really then, doing. Then, like, Eddie Murphy come on going, and now, live! <laughs> oh, like, man. Trump and uh, Biden, like, clips for, like, two or three minutes, and it's like, live from New York! <laughs> no, nah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be, uh, we, uh, we, paid, we bought and paid for it. Yep. All right, dude, I'm about running out of time here for the show, but I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to talk tonight. I'll talk with you later this week, all right? Oh. Out. All right. Uh, yeah, we've got about 13 minutes left here. We'll finish a couple stories in the news, and then we've got Eric P. Sound Legacy coming at you here at 2 o'clock until 5.30. I think Brett's going to be sitting in for Eric tonight, so he's going to bring you some cool electronic DJ-style spinning, scratching, bumping, whatever. He does. And he does it well, actually. Brett's got a cool show that'll be coming to you from 2 to 5.30. That's in about 10 minutes, okay? Uh, The World Bank's pandemic bonds are designed so investors pay in the event of an outbreak. That's something that should be interesting to people right now. Uh, The history of carbon-14. By the way, hello to uh, all the people on the forum. We've got a whole bunch of new uh, members over there at the Radio Orbit Forum, and I'm delighted. I'm actually going to log in right now. I apologize for not being on there earlier tonight. Uh, But anyway, 97 members. Wow, closing in on 100 members, and there's 32 online right now. So hi to people that are listening online and are surfing around the forum right now. I make a reasonable effort to put new stories up there Um, usually daily, but you know, there are times when I kind of uh, don't do it for a day or two, but then I'll put a bunch of them up. But at any rate, um, there's stuff up there in the forum that I talk about on the program and there are things that I don't get to, but I put lots of different things up there. A lot of technical or technology related stuff, but I don't know. Here's a story about uh, self-driving vehicles is one that my cab driver buddies would be interested in both Johnny and Rich, uh, adversarial deep fakes, evaluating the vulnerability of deep fake detectors to adversarial examples. Very interesting AI story there. Um, big tech is testing you. Yeah, they're doing everything and they're gathering all your data and they're selling it and you've become the product. Uh, is technology helping or hurting our students' creativity? Interesting YouTube from Dr. Ethan Danahy. Digital immortality, uh, a concept finally uh, trying to clearly explain what we call digital immortality. Imagine the infinite human future of mind uploading, life after death, immortality. How does it begin? Would you still be you when we upload your mind? Let's imagine the journey as we explore the future of what brain augmentation might look like. That's just the beginning of this particular piece from uh, from Medium on digital immortality. You can check that out if you get on over to the forum. Go over to my website at Mike Hagan, M-I-K-E-H-A-G-A-N, MikeHagan.com, and then just click on that little button over there in the menu that says Radio Orbit Forum, and that'll take you over to exactly where I am and what I'm talking about right now. And you'll see all the stories that I post up there. Hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of stories that go back uh, at least a couple of years. And, uh, you know, you can 
kind of arrange them the way you like with the new stuff on top or the old stuff on top or the most popular stuff on top. And you can also comment on those stories or post your own stories. There's a live chat room that you can use whenever you're uh, logged on over there at the forum. And yeah, it's kind of a cool way to share information and also perhaps commune with others that are interested in some of the topics that are covered here on Radio Orbit and certainly some of the things that, uh, that I talk about over there on the forum. Okay. All right. Um, what do we have coming up here in the next, you know, I, I did a really interesting interview with Dr. Sven Nyholm from, uh, I forget the, uh, the, the name of the university that he works uh, at right now. It's in the Netherlands somewhere, but anyway, he is involved with, uh, ethics and, uh, moral questions that are being brought up by advancing technology like AI and robotics. He was introduced to me through uh, John Danaher and David Gunkel and some of the other men and women that I've been speaking with about AI and robotics over the last few months. And we're going to get back into it with Dr. Sven Nyholm next week. I was going to air that tonight, but I didn't have a chance to edit that interview because I spoke with Dr. Eric Ding earlier today, and I wanted to get that on the air. And I also wanted to play that piece by uh, Diana Moxon from last Friday's Speaking of the Arts, just a wonderful interview with uh, David France, who is the uh, director of wonderful documentary called Welcome to Chechnya. All right. It is about one fifty-three. Thank you for listening to the program tonight. We'll have one more on the way out from our featured musicians of the evening. We snuck one in from the Tragically Hip, but we've been listening to songs earlier from a band called The Dancing Dead. We're going to finish with one from them that is called Channel Surfing. I'll have that for you in just a minute, but I will tell you that you have been listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. We're always streaming on the web at www.kopn.org. My name is Mike Hagan, and my website is www.mikehagan, M-I-K-E-H-A-G-A-N.com. If you have anything that you'd like to communicate with me about, please do. If you've got anyone you'd like to hear on the program, perhaps there's a topic that you'd like to hear covered that I haven't gotten to. Maybe it's something you want to hear covered again. If you're a musician and you want to share music with me, I'd love to hear it. An artist, poetry, whatever, advice. If you've got it, I'll check it out. And uh, if it's appropriate, we'll share it with other people, okay? Once again, stick around for Eric P's Sound Legacy coming at you. So get ready for some cool music action in just a few. Keep it locked here, KOPN 89.5 FM. I'll be back next week with Dr. Sven Nyholm and Technological Talk. I hope you'll join me then. Cheers, everybody. Be cool to yourself. Be cool to others. This is The Dancing Dead and Channel Surfing.